Well, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh, visitors, we are especially grateful that you've come to Wilshire today. You've come to a good church, and uh, I hope you enjoy your time with us. Um, maybe I, I don't usually encourage the congregation to talk during the sermon, but maybe you could turn to the person next to you and um, say a few words about the city of Houston and, and what a fine franchise the Rockets are. Would you like to discuss that a bit amongst yourselves? I've heard a lot of grumbling this week uh, about the Russell Westbrook trade. And uh, as it happens, as we're going through the book of Numbers, grumbling plays a big part. Grumbling and complaining. And in fact, the book of Numbers, Exodus 2, and, and Leviticus as well, uh, the grumbling of the Israelites becomes a theme in other parts of the Bible. In the Old Testament it shows up, and then uh, in the New Testament, actually the episode we're going to talk about today and, and related episodes, uh, they become kind of a, uh, a, um, an example to, for Christians. Don't be like the Israelites who grumbled in the wilderness. Don't be like them who were ungrateful to God. Uh, and so uh, today, that's what we're going to talk about. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be uh, almost exclusively in Numbers chapter 11. I put a bunch of this on your sheet, but I can't do it all. Uh, so you might want to just open up your Bible so you can look at the rest of the story that's there. The grumbling of the Israelites. God punishes them for grumbling at the start of the chapter. And then about verse 4, we get this second part of the story. The rabble with them begin to crave other food. And, and again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed, and it looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and, and then ground it in a hand mill and crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. So there's the complaint that kind of kicks off this story. There are two stories that are told in parallel in this chapter. And so this part of the story is the story of the people complaining, why can't we have some meat? Not that I totally think that's an unreasonable request. About six years ago, Yodi decided that I would be better off if we went vegan. And so I've had a few days when I wanted there to be meat at the table uh, so I understand it. And also I noticed that it says that the um, manna tasted like coriander. It's described as having a honey taste in other places, but here it says it tastes like coriander. I looked up coriander. It turns out the leaf of coriander has a different name. Does anybody know the name of the coriander leaf? Cilantro, the most noxious spice in the world. Used to, you could go 
to a Mexican food restaurant and hope not to be assaulted by this weed, but now it seems like everything has this cilantro in it, which if you're sensitive to cilantro, it is a vile taste. It tastes soapy to about 10% of the population. And the rest of you just go blithely on your way as if nothing... Uh, as if nothing has happened. So the people did not like the taste of manna just because they were tired of it. It had gone on and on and on and on. And only if we could have meat, if only we could have meat. The people grumble. Uh, that's kind of the first blank that you want to fill in. The people grumble. Notice what they're grumbling about. Where were they three years ago? When this grumbling takes place in numbers, go back three years and what was going on in their lives. They say, oh, but, but we had fish for free. We could just pull it out of the Nile River. And, and, the, and there were growing garlic and leeks and onion. Oh, where was that exactly that that was happening? And in what condition were you living your people had been slaves, and you were living as slaves, and you had been unable to get yourself out of that circumstance, not for a hundred years, but for hundreds of years. You were powerless to break yourself out of your slavery. And God heard your griping then, your grumbling then, your wailing under that slavery. And he reached out to Moses on Mount Sinai and said, you go get my people and you bring them back to this mountain and I will meet with them there. And with a mighty hand, without an army, without a diplomatic corps, without money, with a mighty hand, God Almighty reaches into Egypt, which if it's the Egypt we're thinking of, it's probably the most powerful nation in that part of the world reaches in and against the will of the Egyptians takes these people who've been reduced to servitude in their midst, pulls them out, takes them across, and brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. That's what had happened over the last three years. So when they say, oh, I remember how wonderful the fish was, they are saying, I remember how great it was to be a slave. They don't mean it. That, is, that cannot be true. They have forgotten the bad of the past in their eagerness to complain about the present, to grumble about the present. I want you to hold that picture in your mind. I don't have time to tell the, the story completely, or, or we, we can't go over it in the scriptures, of, of how God deals with their hunger. Basically, he brings more food than they can eat, more quail than they can eat, and they, they stuff their faces with it, and then they immediately get sick. Uh, that's how that story ends. But what's interesting is the grumbling of the people sets off a chain reaction uh, in Moses himself, and that's the next episode I want you to notice. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, in the entrance to their tents, the Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was disturbed or was troubled. And he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done 
to displease you that you put this burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing at me. Give us meat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy for me. This is how you're going to treat me. Just go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. The people are ready to rise up and reject not just God from Sinai, but also Moses as their leader. Unless you give us what we want, we are going to kick you out. God, I would rather just die right now than to see that happen. So kill me. Not only do the people grumble, but of course, even Moses grumbles in this episode. Now, Moses may have more cause. He has been used by God, but you may remember when God said this is the plan, how did Moses react? At Mount Sinai, when when God says, you've been waiting 80 years, Moses, and here's your chance, go to Egypt and get my people. Did Moses say, oh goody, I was hoping you would ask. Moses said, find somebody else. I can't talk. They won't believe me. They don't really know your proper name. He came up with so many excuses. And and God says, yeah, well, it's going to happen. Go. And it does happen. But Moses didn't want this job, and he hasn't enjoyed it very much. The Israelites were a tough people to lead. It's interesting, over in, I actually think this is a callback to this story. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, one of the commandments that the book of Hebrew ends with is saying to the people, make the... Trust in your leaders enough so that their service to you can be a joy. The service that Moses gave to the Israelites was not a joy to him. This was a hard job. He says, it's like this whole two million people are like little babies. How many of you have ever had to exercise leadership? Over any group. I know you have. Several of you have. In your heart of hearts, you may have not said it out loud, but in your heart of hearts, have you ever said, these people are like little babies. They're whining. They're complaining. You you show them something good and you, you literally have to put their hands on it before they will take advantage of what's in front of them. These people, that's what Moses is saying. Why have you given me this job to do? It's wearing me out. You've put my, you've put your spirit on me, Lord, so that I can do this prophetic work. And, and, but, but the burden is too great for me. Now, in the midst of the big story, you know, sending the meat and, and taking care of that need in the wilderness, we have a, a little story which is about Moses having his grumble answered in a different way. And that story is fascinating to me because it shows a little something about how God operates. 
God says this to Moses. Moses is grumbling. He's complaining. The burden is too much for me. It is too hard for me to bear. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting where they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that's on you and I will put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. God hears Moses' grumble and he understands and he says, I will answer by spreading out my Holy Spirit. The spirit that I've been using through you alone will now be spread out amongst the people. More people will be available to carry the burden. When you turn your Bible over to the New Testament, you start reading about the Sanhedrin. Seventy elders of Israel that gathered together in Jerusalem. They made laws and they settled the most difficult support cases. They kind of functioned for the Jews of the New Testament like both the Senate and the Supreme Court of that nation for matters that related to the Jewish people. One of the earliest passages that tells us where the Sanhedrin idea came from is actually this passage here in Numbers chapter 11. The 70 elders who are going to help lead the people. When later scholars of the Jewish nation would go back and say, well, why do we have the Sanhedrin? This is one of the passages that they could point to. So because that was God's plan. Moses, it was too much for Moses and as a blessing... As a response to Moses' need, 70 people were given part of Moses' spirit so they could lead. Here's how that happens, and it has an interesting detail. Numbers 11, verse 24 through 30. So Moses went out and he told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. They didn't do it again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they didn't go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. And the young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop then. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Several things going on at once. Joshua is going to eventually be anointed as the one to lead the people. Right now, he's just Moses' aide de camp. He's the one that's uh, protective of Moses. And here he sees this amazing event. Most of the elders have gathered there in a sacred place in front of the Lord. They are given the spirit of Moses and they prophesy. But back in the camp, two people that didn't come, should have come, they didn't come. God blesses them anyway, and they are prophesying, and they're not in sacred territory. They're not in in the presence of the Lord. They they are off in the camp, just in the 
in the world. And, but they're prophesying anyway because that's the way God's blessing works. And, and that bothers Joshua more than it bothers Moses. He says, Josh, um, Joshua tells Moses, you've got to make them, command them not to prophesy. You're losing your position, Moses. You're losing your uniqueness among us, Moses. You are the one that God has chosen to be his mouthpiece. And, and now this is being diluted. It's being spread out. God's spirit is going out to all these people. Tell them to stop. Tell them not to prophesy. Moses' answer is beautiful in its own right and it is prophetic for God's church. Because he says, don't be jealous for me. I wish God's spirit would be on all the people. Now that wish of Moses's, that desire of Moses is actually the desire of God. It'll take many hundred years before that can be fulfilled, but God's desire is not just 70 elders or 700 or 7,000. God's desire is for his Holy Spirit to be spread to every one of his people. And it takes the coming of his mighty son, Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And your baptism in his name means that God's Holy Spirit, the same spirit that spoke through Moses to Pharaoh, the same spirit that helped Moses guide those people, God's Holy Spirit comes to reside on you. God's plan is far greater than anything Moses could imagine. All Moses could imagine is just kill me. Just get this over with. I can't stand this any longer. God says, well, I'll give you 70 helpers. But more than that, I'll show you where this whole project is headed. These people will have my spirit. And eventually, you come to realize I desire for all people to have my spirit. It is a great, great story. I named this sermon Grumble because that's kind of the theme that runs through it. Moses grumbles about his leadership duties. The people grumble about the food. Why did they grumble? What caused that? What's the lesson for you and for me? The people of God make themselves and others miserable when they think so much about what God hasn't given them that they forget what he has. That's really what the situation is. Moses becomes discouraged because he forgets what an incredible privilege it is to have God's spirit in him and that God has sustained him through all the trials, and that God will continue to take care of him. The Israelites grumble because they focus just on this one thing. God came, he rescued us from slavery. God came, he, he saved us at the Red Sea. God came, he gave us 
his covenant and made us his people at Mount Sinai. God came and and gave us a place where he could actually live side by side with, with us in the tabernacle. He gave us our priests and he gave us our system of sacrifice so our sins can be forgiven. And now he is leading us to a land that he promised 400 years ago our people would inherit. That's where God is taking us. This we know is temporary. All of those they could have focused on. But what they focus on is, man, I would like some bacon. Probably not bacon. I would like some veal. I would like some beef. I would like a little fish. Brothers and sisters, you can make yourself miserable. You can make the people around you miserable by focusing so much on what you don't have, what God hasn't blessed you with, that you forget to be thankful for what he has. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to a passage that's Virtually, psychologically, the opposite of Numbers 11. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. I didn't have the space to put this on your study sheet today. We make ourselves miserable because even when we are piled high with blessings from God, They don't capture our mind nearly as much as as things that we wish God had given us that he hasn't, or at least hasn't yet. And the more I obsess about what God hasn't done for me, especially if I look over with covetousness and see, well, this person has this blessing, how come I don't? And this this group over here has this blessing, and how come I don't? and, and I remember in the past when I used to be able to have this blessing, and now I don't. And the more I focus on that, it's not that you don't focus on the things that are lacking, you do. That's part of how you can make them better. But, but if I focus on that exclusively, I can tear down my own spirit, but I'll also be tearing down the spirits of the people around me. Because of that human tendency... Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. If you want to avoid the trap of grumbling, here's what you can do today. Here's what you can do this week. Find a way to rejoice in the Lord. A pack of blessings lies on your back, to paraphrase Shakespeare. Every one of you that is here, no matter what troubles you are going through, and there are troubles in this congregation, deep ones, no matter what griefs you are bearing, a pack of blessings from God lies on your back. Rejoice. Rejoice. More than that, not just for what God has done for you, rejoice in God himself. You have no right 
to be sitting in these pews today. I have no right to be standing up and touching God's word. And yet because of God's mighty son, Jesus Christ, because he's paid the price, I am not immediately struck dead. You are not immediately struck dead by daring to come and claim fellowship with Almighty God. Not only that, but God has come to claim fellowship with you. He has made you his child. A pack of blessings lies on your back. All of us are suffering. Different people have different sufferings. That doesn't change. But spend some of your intellectual energy this week rejoicing in the Lord. Paul goes on, you'll notice. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The Israelites and Moses in Numbers 11, they have plenty of petitions. How come we can't have some garlic? How come we can't have some leeks? How come we can't have a little of that free fish out of the Nile River, God? How come you've made me bear these people? They have lots of petitions. Well, they don't have, at least as the text is written in Numbers 11, is thanksgiving. You've got problems that you need to talk to God about. This text says, talk to God about them. You've got lacks in your life. You've got things that you need. It is not sinful for you to go to God about those things. It's not even sinful for you to complain, saying, I've been bearing this for a while. I really need your help, God. But Paul says, when you engage in that kind of petitionary prayer, make sure you do it with thanksgiving. God, I know you've blessed me. I know you've blessed me with this, this measure of health. I know you've blessed me with this measure of wealth. I know you've blessed me with salvation in Jesus Christ. I know you've, and you can think of the things that you need to add to that list. And as you go to God in petition, make sure you've also brought to him thanksgiving. Make sure you go to him. It's the replacement in scripture for anxiety for worry, for frustration, prayer. Prayer with thanksgiving. And then Paul adds a little promise, and I believe he's speaking by the Holy Spirit and also out of his own experience. He said, if you'll do that, if you'll rejoice in the Lord, your fellowship with him, if you, when you petition God for the things you need, if you'll make sure that you give him thanksgiving too, then something will happen if you're following in your Bible, it's verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. One of the things the world needs most is peace. We need political peace, of course. We need international peace, of course. But people in our society blessed with all kinds of wealth and all kinds of entertainment and all kinds of access to, to, to more knowledge and, 
and, and more stimulation than probably any people ever in the history of the world. Our people lack peace in themselves. And Paul says, here's how to have some of that. Remind yourself every day how joyful it is that you are in fellowship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. And, and when something is bothering you and when there is something you need, make sure you make a beeline to God in prayer about that thing. Rather than just spinning your wheels in anxiety about it, pray to God about it first. And when you do pray to God about the things you need, offer him thanksgiving for the things he's already done for you. You make that your steady habit and the peace of God will make its home in your heart and it will guide you and guard you in Christ Jesus. If you need to respond to God's invitation, then I want to extend that invitation right now. God wants you. He wants you to live up to his vision of you. He wants you to take the next step in his development plan for who he means for you to be. It may be that right now you're struggling with something and, and your own prayer, your own private prayer isn't enough and you need, you believe, the help of the church praying with you so that your struggle can be victorious. You may need some other help that the church can offer and you want to ask for that publicly. Or today may be the day that you decide I am... I am tired of sitting on the fence with God. I have never accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And today, I want to put on Jesus Christ in baptism. I want my sins washed off of me. I want to be raised up out of that watery grave with a brand new life and be given the gift of God's Spirit. If that's a choice that you would like to make today, why don't you come forward, tell us what we can do for you as we stand and as we sing.